Welcome to Trade Finance Talks, a podcast from Trade Finance Global. During this series, we'll be hearing from global experts, as well as learning about the latest trends, technology and insights in the world of international trade and receivables finance. Episode 68. Driver shortage prices was pretty evident well before Brexit. I think that we've had a long tail of knowing that we're going to have a shortage in the UK of drivers. And if our view is that we reliant on other European countries or European drivers to solve that challenge. I think that's quite short-sighted. I think that is so pivotal, or it's such a vital piece of trade. My name is Avesh Patel, editor at Trade Finance Global and host of the podcast Trade Finance Talks. Today, we're talking shipping and there's a lot to talk about. Global supply chains have been deeply impacted by some of the changes we've seen in the markets, both due to COVID, the Suez Canal debacle and many other items connecting global value chains really are potentially at breaking point. We've seen shortages of HGV drivers and they've been a real threat to supply chains all around the world. It's fair to say the industry is facing serious challenges. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Sam Greenhalgh at Zen Cargo. Sam, welcome to Trade Finance Talks. Cool. Thanks, Depeche. Thanks for having me on. So first of all, quick question. You run What's in the Box. Tell me a little bit more about the podcast you run. And also, if you could give a quick introduction to us, that'd be great. Yeah, I got a podcast show that I kicked off last year in October called What's in the Box. The idea was that we've amidst all of the crazy world that we came into with COVID and all of the events that changed, it was looking to create a space where supply chain professionals, people looking to get into supply chain could come and really listen to some, I would say, no buzzwords, real good insights sites, industry leaders, people in tech, people in freight, just to, to kind of really understand what's those challenges happening, what that means for their businesses, and actually take away some real practical insights around like how can they navigate the current challenging times to kind of episode 25 now. Got lots of a mix of things on there, but it's definitely an interesting show if you're looking for something more supply chain focused. In your opinion, would you say there's a bit of an education gap within the shipping and freight industry? Yeah, I think shipping and freight never usually went together in the same sense. I don't think from a natural point of view, but I think there's so much stuff that now that or so much new and exciting things that's happening in our world. There is a gap between like new top talent looking to get into an exciting industry and maybe what it traditionally was. And I think that by having these podcasts, having these shows, by making a really loud voice and showing how interesting and exciting our space is, it can attract a lot more talent to the industry and open people's eyes to actually something that is really exciting. And you asked me earlier for a, an intro to me, but sadly enough, I've been my whole life has been in supply chain and logistics. I've got a family heritage. They owned a transport company in the 70s and the 80s. And my dad's still a HGV driver today. I've been in this space for so long. And I come up, I would say, the traditional way, which was from the warehouse, all different roles within a different organization and really grown and developed individually through that path. But I don't think it's naturally a, is a route that people come out from university or anything and think, actually, yeah, I really want to go into freight because it's not classed as a, a sexy industry, I don't think. I think there's a lot we can can discuss and unpack that. But let's start with Zen Cargo. Your position now is UK sales director at Zen Cargo, and you've had a fascinating career in history. Tell me a little bit more about, I guess, 
one about Zen Cargo and two about how you got yourself to the position you're in today. If I take it back to how I started there and then I can talk about my role, maybe flip it around slightly. But I spent eight years in a traditional freight forwarding business, set up the traditional way, very much focused around assets and trucks and warehouses and kind of servicing customer supply chains. What I found is that in that eight years working in operational roles, the project management roles, sales roles was that it's such a vital piece of people's supply chains, but it's often looked at quite transactionally by businesses or it's obviously undervalued by customers. They don't really invest so much resource or time into their supply chain as they should. And it's such an opportunity to have a competitive advantage. I was kind of looking at that time thinking, how can the industry be more well-regarded in as a function within their business as a view of like, how can we compete and outmaneuver our competitors? And we see how well kind of Amazon have done and businesses like that from focusing on supply chain. So I was looking at that as a piece and I actually met Alex Hersham, who's the CEO at Zencargo, at a Kilt event. Kilt is the Chartered Institute of Logistics and Transport. I met him at an event there and I heard him talking about what the future of international trade could be, what the future of trade could be, and how technology could solve a lot of those challenges. And it instantly resonated with me that was the future and that is how we're going to make change. And it was going to come through a disruptive technology. Now, I joined back in 2018, naively so. I walked into the office on my first day, expecting to join a freight forwarding large tech company, whatever it was, shirt and tie, and realized there was 10 guys sitting around there in a small office in Russell Square. And I thought, wow, this is a quite a contrast to what I'm used to. But since that that day, I've really grown and developed within the business, raising kind of multiple fundraising rounds, winning our first customers, working not only from selling to those customers, but service them operationally, really helping them grow. And as Cargo's grown and as our products developed, I think that's given me the opportunity and a lot of exposure to that environment that's enabled me to kind of take steps forward and just be adaptable and grow, learn really quickly. And I've had lucky to have the trust that the kind of guys there, the founders at Zencargo have to put into me to really elevate me and take on these new positions. So a bit of a fossil in Zencargo now because I've been there nearly four years, but seen it go from 10 people to over 200 people two fundraising rounds and anyone who works in a startup will know how exciting but how tough them years can be. I probably wouldn't say you're a fossil as someone who's been in the trade finance industry, which I guess is complementary to that. So I guess before we go into some of the big things happening within the shipping and supply chain industry, we like to ask them profile their typical day or a day in the life of. So what does a typical day look like for you now working at a very fast growing, I wouldn't even say startup, I'd probably say company now. We're definitely on the scale up journey now, but my role's considerably changed going from large individual contributor role, looking at going out and winning new business solely for my own individual targets, although it's all a race related into the company. But now having that full team, there's a team of 10 people in the UK. So it's a fairly large team and we've got really ambitious growth targets, right? So for me, a typical day is making sure that my team is set up for success. They're set up to go and crush their numbers, win new customers, deliver value, make sure they're really on brand and on points. Like that's a huge focus. And what that comes into if we're talking about people is also hiring. How do I attract talent through the podcast, through LinkedIn, through engaging at different events like this, speaking on different podcasts? How can I attract the top talent to my team? Because I want all of the people that are looking to make a change in the industry, wanting to join Zencargo to come on the same mission. So that's a really pivotal role or pivotal thing that I do in the role. The second is product. As a sales person and as a sales team, we get the most face-to-face interactions with all of our customers. So what can we learn from them? What are their challenges? What are the things that they would love to see in our product that we can digest, think about? Can we build something to solve those challenges? So it's really important for us to have this continual feedback loop from prospect to 
product, which is solving that gap and helping our product team develop. And the last one is just spending time with customers. For me, that's where I love. That's the passion, being in front of customers, looking at solutions, trying to think of innovative ways to drive value. So yeah, I'd say the three key pillars for me. Thanks, Sam. Really interesting day there. I think as someone who's probably had, what, around a decade of experience in the shipping logistics industry, you've probably seen quite a lot of change over the years. Can you paint a bit of a picture of what some of those key macro trends and changes you've seen within your industry over the past decade or so? Yeah, so like you said, I've been 11 years in the industry. So definitely seen lots of change as I've progressed through, as as I've changed quite a lot from when I ended over the last 10 years to where I am today. And I think I'd be quite, not naive, but to say that lots of change hadn't happened at the previous 10 years, but I've definitely seen in this last period, I'd say this last five-year period, there's been this really accelerated change of the way that new technologies are coming to market, the way that customers and businesses are driving forward like change in the way that they work with their service providers and they are now looking innovative solutions in order to drive drive change within their organizations i think the biggest thing for me there's been loads of stuff merge and acquisition and lots of new tech but the biggest thing for me has been like the mindset shift from things just happening slowly to now there's like a, a really aggressive drive i think from service providers technology providers customers everyone wants the next and the new innovations of how they're going to drive um, value. And I think COVID and the period that we've been through has only been a catalyst to that as well. Over the last few years, it's been even further accelerated with regards to everyone's now remote and all of the global impacts that we've had at a macro level have really forced customers to think that actually we didn't have our supply chain set up to really manage and be agile and be resilient against these big challenges. So I think that although the last five years has seen huge investment, the adoption and the rate that it's going to go is definitely going to increase with all of these things that have been happening. Can you go into a bit more detail about what the biggest challenges and blockers are within the supply chain industry? Is it inefficiency? Is it reliance on paper documents? Is it warehouse related? What are really the biggest challenges and complexities you're seeing? There's two answers to that question. There's always a physical aspect to these challenges. And the physical aspect is people, assets, and actually reliance on other industries or other things to make change in order for solutions to happen. So there's this big aspect, whereas you could have the best system in the world to track a vessel, but you've still got a port system that might not have the data or it might be really slow when it arrives or it gets to a warehouse and you've got someone on a forklift that doesn't have all the capabilities to update and manage the platform and it breaks down. So it's got to be a blend. I think the biggest challenges in supply chain have always been the fragmentation between all of these handover points. There's so many handover points from raw material all the way through to end consumer. To really have an end-to-end supply chain, all of those need to be connected. I think that's so difficult and it's also probably not impossible, but it's a really tough challenge to have. So then it's actually about how can you solve the biggest challenges in there plug the gaps, manage people and process to combine it with technology to get what we need. So I definitely think biggest challenges is fragmentation of that data and making sure that we can catch them away. In terms of like tactical level, like what's happening right now and what's the biggest challenges, we've got, I think it's called the GFC now, Global Freight Crisis. It's even got its own acronym. I know our industry loves acronyms. You've got the Global Freight Crisis. We've had Brexit. We've got all of these kind of emerging issues that are happening weekly now with like port closures and COVID outbreaks in different ports. There's one recently just outside the point of the Antoningbo. So there's lots of these more tactical macro level events that are happening that is just like rippled effect through supply chains globally, which is 
space on vessels, rates, equipment, port congestion, all of these things just mount up and it's putting huge strains on supply chains right now. So that's definitely, I would say from a tactical level, the biggest challenges. We were talking earlier about the cherry on the top, China, some of China's ports operating at such limited capacity. Let's start with COVID and the impact of the physical restriction of the movement of goods. And I think we all know what happened. Global trade slowed down. And it's obvious now in recent numbers that trade volumes are starting to increase, albeit probably hiked by an increase in in commodity prices. Taking a look at what happened over the past 18 months, what do you think were some of the biggest challenges? But also, it'd be good for you to talk about how the industry coped with those challenges, adopted quite quickly and perhaps talking about Zen Cargo or other players within the industry. What were the biggest wins you saw out of that? Yeah, I think that what we see initially when it first happened was when China was a the first period where we'd seen this outbreak of was or what is now the pandemic of COVID-19. And we see that and it was a sudden urge of I've got a huge reliance on our Far East supply chain or our Chinese supply chain to get goods into the UK, Europe, Trans-Pacific, whatever the routes are. But there's huge reliance and they're all shutting down. And it was, how do we speed stuff up? How do we get stuff out of there and get it in? Because they're all going to be shutting down. There was Chinese New Year and there was this big area where we all thought there was going to be no stock or a bit of a shortage. It then found its way to the shores of Europe and the UK, COVID. And what that meant was that high street shops were shutting down because we couldn't go onto the high street to shop. What I see was that supply chains are like pushing stuff back. Actually, we don't want all of this stuff now. We haven't got a sales outlook for this and we're going to have huge issues with it coming into our warehouses and not being able to sell it. There's obviously working capital restraints of that if you've got all this stock coming in that you've got to pay for that you're not going to sell. So the first instance of what we see in those early periods was how does a supply chain actually manage a push and pull with having a fragmented supply chain that was not very digitally enabled, it was very difficult to deal with these things at a day by day or a weekly or a monthly level because getting that insight by the time you had it, things had changed and you were back to square one. So it's like how to get that data. What we see was then uh, there was this bigger demand for physical goods, services and hospitality in those sectors had, had shut down, but people were still spending their money on consumer products, physical products. There was a huge demand for physical goods that were then being shipped over. And these businesses were then fighting for space and capacity on a really strained market. Those events have then just like we just mentioned, those cherry on the top. So just been like kind of cascaded by further events that happened. You had the Suez, you had the Yantian closure. Now you've got this other port closure. All of these things cause ripple effects and what that's meant is in the circulation of supply and demand of equipment and port congestion and, and vessels in the market has meant that it's bottled up into what we've got now is in this global freight crisis. And I think COVID was the start of that, but we're now outside of that. I don't think this is a COVID issue as to go with what's happening with global supply chains. Right now, we've got a shipping crisis, a supply chain crisis, rather than one that is a, a COVID crisis, I'd say. Looking at some of the more positive parts, so we have potentially seen corporates rethink their supply chain. So looking at reshoring or nearshoring their stock, also pieces there to try and be more agile and control some of these supply and demand shocks, potentially some work on the digital acceptance of certain documents by players within the supply chain. And also you mentioned that fragmentation, and we've probably seen lots of players in the markets, including Zen Cargo, approach this fragmentation through looking at interoperability and trying to connect the dots between the hundreds of players. Do you think these initiatives are going to continue on a bit of a trajectory? Or do you think we're going to go back to the way we always used to be when it comes to shipping logistics? 
there's definitely going to be multiple plays there. There's going to be some areas that do stick and stay and that people change their strategies. I think there's going to be areas that they don't. Nearshoring is one that I hear lots of people talk about, but when you actually really ask or ask yourself the question, what products that we've been sourcing from Asia at low cost and importing on that route are even viable products when you move in nearshore? And what, how viable are they? Is it the there's a short term thing and like, should we just move to nearshore because it's closer? If you look at some of the events that happened, Europe got shut down because of COVID. So if you had a European supply chain, would you say it needed to be in Asia? Like these things are happening, they're unpredictable. So you need to set your supply chain up that it's agile enough to deal with these changes. It's resilient enough that you're not all reliant on maybe one supplier or one area. But I don't necessarily see nearshoring for lots of businesses, depending on their product type, to to just move sourcing locations. I don't think there many products are viable to do that. So I haven't seen, and I work with lots of retail supply chains, I haven't seen there to be a huge shift or people say our strategy is now to source from nearer places. Some of the textile industry, we have seen big increases in kind of Portugal, Lithuania, Turkey as sourcing options, but Turkey has its own kind of issues with supply and demand and trucking and HGV drivers. Again, shortages we spoke about that impacts the ability and the cost of goods coming from Europe into UK and Europe. So there's lots of challenges with nearshore and I think people need to think about more bigger level in terms of strategy rather than just a kind of knee-jerk reaction to thinking that China's or the Far East or those longer routes are now viable. Back onto like technology aspect though, one of the key things that we've seen throughout this, and we've, I've mentioned the word agility and resilience a couple of times, but the, one of the key things that we've seen with all of the customers, all of the people that we're speaking to is the ability to like react. And we say react, the ability to be proactive and not react. And that comes from having data, having insights and having the ability to work collaboratively with your whole supply chain. From a Zen Cargo perspective, from us connecting manufacturers, shipping lines, the data on that all the way through at a skew level to our customers. When events like the Suez Canal incident happened, within minutes, we're flagging up to all of our customers the impacts of, or the potential impact. And if they've got stock that was due to be arriving in a specific week because they were selling it, they can manage that. Do they stop marketing? Do they need to air freight additional stock to get it there quicker? Like It's all about being able to get that data, get that insight make a decisions. And I think that's how I see the future of like managing these challenges. Like supply chain is a competitive advantage because if you set yourself up to make those decisions quicker and mitigate these challenges and your competitor hasn't, you're either going to do something at a better cost, better on time, be able to service the customer better. Absolutely. And we've definitely seen a lot of knee-jerk reactions. And I think you're right. There hasn't been too much evidence other than lots of chat about uh, about nearshoring and reshoring versus you know the real competitive benefits of China, who will looks like they'll be the biggest importer in the world and beat America next month. I guess just closer to home, and I'm sure you get a lot of insights from your family and, and dad on the HGV crisis we're in in the UK now. Is that as a result of Brexit and the increased checks and also the lack of workers coming into the UK as HGG drivers? What are the causes of that? And also, what are the impacts we're likely to see? The driver shortage crisis was a pretty evident well before Brexit. I think that we've had a long tail of knowing that we're going to have a shortage in the UK of drivers. And if our view is that reliant on other European countries or European drivers to solve that challenge, I think that's quite short-sighted. I think that it's so pivotal, or it's such a vital piece of trade. And we need to invest as a country in the infrastructure, the support, and the way that we get younger people coming into this industry. Because 
if we're reliant on outside effects such as European drivers solving the challenge or electric vehicles solving the challenge, that's not the answer for us. And we're going to have a really short-term problem if we can't fix it more immediate than those things. So if we just look at why would anyone want to go and do a via HDV driver right now? Like the conditions aren't great. The facilities, the security, the length of hours away from potentially home or traveling on the road, all of these things like add up. We need to think about as an attractive option, how do we make it more attractive? Is that better services, better parking facilities? How can we invest in tech and apps and make sure that there's gyms and good food, a network for people to socialize and they've got secure parking? All these different things are all areas where we have to make it a more attractive industry and we have to reduce the barriers to enter that with regards to like the experience needed to go up through your ranks and the pay make it more attractive for people to go through the training courses and and commit to a career in trucking. Absolutely. And I think on that side of technology, it would be good to get an insight from you on, I guess, how exactly technology can help game change the way we think shipping and logistics. Obviously, the HGG drivers is one element of it. But what are the kind of approaches you guys are looking at when it comes to Zen Cargo? Is it, for example, trying to create the equivalent of the operating system or the app store for freight? Or is it looking, taking a bit more of a holistic view of the industry and saying, these are the individual parts that we can change and digitalize, and we will look to bring on partners to digitize those other parts and talk to each other. Yeah, I think from a Zen Cargo perspective, we're very much in, from us, uh, our vision is for the kind of the first mile aspect from a manufacturer in whichever country through to a customer's DC rather than the final mile. Now, obviously trucking plays a huge part in that. And we want to be having GPS tracking of those vehicles and leveraging the data from those players. And there's lots of software players that are solving that challenge with regards to like trucking, managing assets, making sure you get the best use of your vehicles and your mileage and where they are and making sure that you can connect to a wide pool of drivers. Again, that bit is a really great push forward in the industry because that's a good way and that's how we should be managing it. But it also doesn't solve the, I spoke about earlier around the physical and the digital. There's still a barrier to that because what a transporian does is allow trucking companies to find where freight is to best utilize their assets. And what that creates is great. It's should reduce miles, should be more planet efficient. We should have more access to capacity and have trucks in the vicinity where that's all great. But then it creates a Dutch auction for freight and then prices take a dip. And when the prices go low, that means that we want to have lower paid drivers or lower paid. So there's still a gap between those pieces. Zen Cargo is not looking to solve the driver shortage challenge. We want to, we should be involved in that. We should be because it's vital for us to service our customer supply chains. If we can't get trucks or drivers, we're not going to be able to deliver their stuff. There's also a gap between the tech aspects and just putting a nice layer over something that's broken and actually the physical aspect, which is we have to make it better for drivers, people getting into that industry in order for us to have the drivers there to know how to use the technology. To your point on digitalization and data, I'm right in saying it's not just the data you collect, but it's actually how you generate the insights, which then generate lead to actions, right? Around being proactive. Yeah, I think there's uh, a really, for me, I went on this journey with Zen when I joined from not a software business and now a very software-led business is just having a very nice skin or a nice platform or a nice view of something isn't very powerful without the data. And the data is not very powerful without a way to kind of surface it up and provide insights. So 
the two are very coincide. But the view is that actually there is data in abundance and there's data everywhere and you could go and pull this data from different places. It's about how do you surface that data as, a, as an insight or as an opportunity to the right person at the right time with the ability to approve and take action on that to either mitigate risk or to actually have an opportunity to save costs. What we see in lots of times in lots of supply chains is there's these big retrospectives of all the things that we didn't do very well and the areas that we want to improve. The next quarter, you're looking at the same things because there isn't the ability to execute on these opportunities in real time. So a real big thing for us is how do we provide insight with the ability to take action and either capitalize on an opportunity or mitigate a risk, whether that's a Suez Canal, has just been blocked. These 10 products are now impacted and they've got a 15 day. Here's your different options. Here's what you can do. Here's how you can make a smart choice. They're the kind of insights that I think are driving value, not just, like you said, data in abundance. It's how we use that data to kind of make decisions and make smarter moves. I'll put you on the spot here. And I guess real example, shipping containers quadrupling or even more in, in price to transport goods around the world. How can your data and insights help make decision makers make informed decisions on how they transport their goods around the world? There's a few layers to this question. And the fact is, is that a software player is not going to go and help you get a container. It's a macro level challenge. However, with the right data, there is a lot of opportunity to either maximize the utilization of the equipment that you've got and make smart decisions or manage the supply chain in a more effective way to optimize for the stuff that you need. So what a couple of areas, I'll just give two examples that we've seen is customer raises a purchase order for 5,000 units spread across four products. What they then see is that actually product one is absolutely flying off the shelves, but product two, three, and four, we don't need. They're fighting for all of this space then they put in the products and they've got two, three, and four in a container. And they've now used 70% of their capacity on products that they don't need. So like, how can you make a smart decision? How can you make sure that you're only shipping product one? It's maximized the best you can have it. And then as the goods are coming in, you're optimizing for that intake of goods. So like, there's an example, if it's consolidation, making sure that you've got all of your products that you need in the container and prioritize that container, whether you pay premiums, to get it on a must-ship service or a premium service. That's definitely an area where we've seen lots of businesses investing so much capital to get their products in. And then it gets in and it sits in the warehouse for six weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks. And then it's it's spent all of that money and it wasn't actually acquired. So it's like, how do you optimize for the stuff that you actually need? That's really important. There's an example of how you can do it from a consolidation perspective. The other is on the flip side of that, which is if you don't need a product, you retail stores have shut down your sales have been cut in half and you don't have the retail outlet, how can you use your data to communicate with your manufacturers to hold stock back and have a really positive impact on your cash flow, inventory? There's lots of decisions that you can make in there to make smart decisions around how to manage that. And that all comes from being able to see the data, see what the impact is, make an informed decision. And then that's where it comes from. Thank you very much, Sam. Um, some very good examples there and, and quite interesting. How can we shift young professionals who are entering the early stages of their career into freight forwarding, shipping and supply chains and make it more of a, an appealing career path? And what can be done to make the industry more exciting, worthwhile and I guess sexy? There's not one avenue. So I came up, the I left school at 16, went straight into a business and I'm not saying that that's what people should do. But we should also not discount that is a really credible route to gain a lot of expertise and experience in the industry. And 
we should put our arms around and wrap around those individuals that have took that route because it's a great opportunity to really get hands on really early, really understand supply chain and then further education, experience, really expose young people to the excitement rather than take people on as apprentices and sit them in as cheap labor and do admin roles. Like how do we really embed people that are coming out into apprenticeship schemes, but not just apprenticeship to entry level roles, like apprenticeships to really go and learn a business. I was very lucky. I got invested in, in my company. I joined as an apprentice earning 90 pound a week. And I was very quickly taken under the wing of lots of different people in the business and give lots of exposure, which enabled me to grow and develop and get lots of those experiences early. So I think that's a really credible route. We need to make sure that route isn't just a entry-level role. It's, it's get them in and get them exposed to the business and not just come in and do a specific function, but come in and learn the industry and the whole business. I think that's a really credible route. The second is actually you've got people that are coming out of university and you've got roles. How do we make the industry seem exciting how do we open people's eyes to the breadth we're talking about supply chain we're talking about trade finance these are two massive markets that has endless opportunities of areas to go into how do we open that up and make it really exciting for those people i think podcasts like this and events and linkedin and actually all of these events that have been happening with these covid and the supply chain crisis and the global freight crisis, whatever we want to call it all of these things are putting us in the spotlight. So we need to stay there. We need to shout about our our industry and we need to talk about how exciting it is because we are one of the foundational pillars of international trade in in supply chain and shipping and freight. So that's where I think we need to invest as well, make it sure that people really can see it as an exciting opportunity. Thank you very much, Sam. Some really good insights there. And, And I hope inspirational to people who are considering their future careers as they leave school, they leave university and they're considering their different options. As you quite rightly mentioned, there are endless opportunities and there are jobs being created now that we never knew existed. Five or seven years ago, which I think is really, really exciting. And you're right, it will always be and continue to be a real pillar, an engine for economic growth and development, particularly in developing and emerging and poorer countries and economies, but also it's rife for innovation. I think we're still very much at the at the early days of that digitalization journey across so many different touch points. And I think there are a lot of opportunities for that career. So I guess coming back to you, what are you most excited about in the next 12 months or so? Next 12 months, in terms of Zen Cargo Focus, I'm really excited around the things that we're working on and the stuff that we're trying to bring into our products and evolve. I think we grow and develop at such a rate of knots that 12 months is a huge change. So we're going to internationalize and we're bringing on lots of product squads in order to develop the product. So I'm excited for the what we bring and develop over the next 12 months. Excited to grow kind of my team, hire that out and grow that. We want to be the fastest growing supply chain business in, in Europe or in the world. So we want to be uh, hiring and bringing on top talents. That's going to be two of the things that I look forward to in the next 12 months. For the industry, I hope that we get back to some element of normality and people kind of stop pulling their hair out with regards to just trying to manage getting through the day to day. And we can think a little bit more strategically about stuff. I think that lots of people right now are in the swamp trying to navigate their way out and through lots of challenges. So I hope for everyone in our industry in our space, you could get some breathing space over the next 12 months. Thanks very much, Sam. And I think some really great insights as we head out of the global freight crisis. Looking forward to uh, speaking to you next time. But thanks very much for joining us on Trade Finance Talks TV. Cool. Brilliant. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to Trade Finance Talks. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts at tradefinanceglobal.com. 